Blue Wire. Think about Lois. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott. Dodge the eye of this national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. Welcome into episode 129 of Press Pass. I'm Kayla Anderson alongside my co-host Joshua Perry. Take two. Yes, it was one of those afternoons where I did not nail the first take, and I'm going to blame it on the long weekend I had. My mother was in town from Spokane, Washington, so let's just say I'm a little tired, Joshua. No, it's all good. I got my uh, I got my juice right here in my solo cup, <laughs> ready to go. Yeah. And I, I actually did a little bit of like light voiceover work today for a uh, some really? yeah some narration for a uh, uh, like a promotional video. And what was, can you say what the video yeah, was for the Buckeye Cruise for Cancer? Yes. Yes. Okay. Great cause. So it was really interesting. And um, I got it out in just a couple of takes, which was good. But the first take was like, okay, buddy, like, let's yeah. get your legs up under you and try this again. So I'll tell you what, though. Okay. So in our business, Joshua, I don't know if you've voiced over packages or stories One ever. Time. Okay. So we do a lot of storytelling in local news, mm-hmm. obviously. And so you go back to a video um, slash audio booth where it's padded and you know not, no surrounding sounds should be able to get in so that your voice sounds crisp. But that is one of the most difficult parts of putting together a story because you, have, you feel like you have to get it perfect. Mm-hmm. And if you are saying the lines and they don't seem natural enough and you seem like you're trying too hard, then you feel like you got to do it over. So sometimes I'll nail it on the first or second take, but sometimes I will be in that audio booth for like 20 minutes. And I'm sure there's people waiting being like, Kayla, hurry it up. But I'm, I'm like, I have to get this right. Yeah. Well, the audio booth, it gets in your head too, because of what you said, it's so quiet. And so like, you're just, you're there with your thoughts. And that's it. Um, yeah, for BTN, I did a little bit of like narration to a story, but it was mostly taping teases. And okay. you know how for sports shows, like the teases have to be um, almost like unnaturally emotional <laughs> and your voice has to do some different things. And, you know, sure. coming up next on the dead of that, like and you're doing all that extra and it's different. And today was kind of similar. It was like a it's basically painting a picture of how last year we didn't get to have the Buckeye Cruise for cancer. And so I was supposed to, you know, and as Buckeyes, we fought and like all that, you know, so I'm doing all that kind of stuff. And it's so different because when it's just you and a microphone, it feels corny. Like it's super duper cheesy. And then once you get everything put together with it, it sounds good. And to your point, when you're narrating a story, you understand what the tone is supposed to be and how it's supposed to sound. But a lot of times when you don't have the story right there and it's not a finished product, you're going to second guess exactly what you're doing. Mm -hmm. No, you're right. And especially, I think the hardest stories to get the voice right is those emotional Mm -hmm. stories, right? I mean, it's it's easier when you have a fun story that it turns out well and usually stories turn out well but some of them are pretty emotional for 
the first half. And yes. so you're trying to give enough energy off, but at the same time, you want people to connect with yes. you emotionally. And it's amazing what a voice can do in storytelling. So I've had people tell stories where I just don't connect with the story because I just don't feel like I can connect with that voice yes. and how they're telling it. So it does mean a lot. So you have to get it right. But like you said, even with these voiceovers, you know, you've got to bring the energy and it might sound cheesy at first, but then you listen to the end product and you're like, wow, that really sounds good. Yeah. And it's so funny too. like the, the guys who do um, and gals who do live teases on air for, you know, pregame shows or postgame shows or whatever the case is, like you'll watch them and it's usually over tape as you're heading into the commercial, but you'll watch them do the tease. And oh, yeah. they're like so expressive yeah. with their mannerisms and the camera's not on them because that's yeah. what you have to do to get it right. So it's definitely, uh, it's a skill. It's like a, not everybody in media can do it properly. It's a real skill. No, it is. And that's why the people at the very, very top that all they do is voiceovers for like ESPN. Yeah. Tom Rinaldi. Yeah. They, they make a lot of money yeah. because they have those voices. Yep. It's crazy. I mean, I wish I was born with this natural, crazy broadcasting voice, but you know. I think you're all right. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. At least I don't have a high pitched voice. That's what I'm happy about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. Those are around. Yeah. Those are around. It's a little rough. And I, I, I would not want one of those voices because you've got to actually go to voice lessons and learn how to tone it down. And I would not want to spend any extra money doing that. Well, now so. we're, we're five minutes, six minutes into this show, but let's talk about the little voice lesson thing real quick. Um, oh, I did, did you get one? No, but I did not realize how many people go to oh, voice lessons yeah. and how much time is spent on that. And I think I get a little bit of a pass being an analyst and being a former player where my delivery has to be good. And there are some things with tone and inflection and diction that have to happen. And I mm -hmm. think just naturally I do some of those things, but the ones who are you, like you are the trained media school person. I did not realize how much went into having the news anchor voice. I know. Right. And it, it, it changes in different settings too. Mm -hmm. Like in the, studio it might be a little bit more toned in terms in terms of uh has a little bit different of a of a, a projection mm -hmm. and then out in the field it's a little more natural right because you're usually in the atmosphere right there's loud people around ambient so sound and the whole deal exactly and so you find that you're more natural but you still got to have that tone um, and then, you know, in, on radio too, I think it sounds completely different. I've heard my voice on radio many times and I think it sounds a lot different than it even does in the studio. It's really yeah. crazy. No, the, I mean the studio yeah. and, and even like the, the news anchors that are on like, you know, your, just your regular local news or like, you know, sure. good morning America when they're actually delivering news. So it'll be like, and today in Columbus, Ohio, we had da da da, but like, on the sports shows, it's there, but it's a little bit more subdued even. And so just like the difference between Dom, for example, and how he oh. would deliver versus oh, yeah. Yolanda and how she would deliver. Yeah. It's like two different things. Yeah, Dom's got totally. his own delivery and, altogether, but. Yeah, Dom, Dom just in general. Dom, shout out to Dom to Barry on this podcast. Uh, yeah. 
let's just say Joshua Perry and I, we both know him very well. The man is amazing. He's just the Dom father. Crazy. Yeah, he is. The Dom father. <laughs> he's crazy. Oh, by the way, real quick before we even get to I know we don't even have to talk sports today. <laughs> I know. We're like, so anyways, on this episode of Joshua and Perry Joshua Perry and Kayla Anderson talk uh just random whatever. stuff about whatever. That needs to be an um, offshoot so show. It really does. Because that would I feel like that would get a lot of clicks. Yeah, it probably would. The random so yeah. the Memorial Tournament's up there this weekend. And yes. I'm super jealous because, you know, that's one of my favorite tournaments to, that I've ever covered out of any sporting event. That has to be top five for me. Sure. And I did it for three years. And I think the reason why is, A, when I was able to start covering the PGA um, Tour and just the tournaments throughout the tour, I realized this is such great access. You're just right there. You get to see the golfers up close and personal. Um, and then there's just, there's so much stuff you can do during the week. There's so many good stories. Yes. And especially up at Jack's place. Yep. Because Jack Nicholas does so much in the community. Yes. The Children's Hospital. There's always great stories to tell. Um, and 10 TV, I don't know what they do now, but we used to do it big when Moose was there. Yeah. And so it was just a week of, you just felt like in a great mood every day. Yeah. Right? No, I loved it. It's fantastic. And I, I don't know what 10TV is going to do this year, but I know the fan is going to have a pretty strong presence out there, which is always oh, good. And 10TV and the fan have a, a obviously a yep. tight relationship. Yep. So I'm sure that there will be some stuff going on, which would be great. You're right. The stories every year are phenomenal. The access oh. is great. It's unlike any other sport because you can be face-to-face with the yep. competitors. And it's super yep. cool. We get so many – high profile people to come into the city of Columbus, which is awesome. And I'll actually be spending a couple of days out there at the end of the week, Thursday and Friday, um, just enjoying, I've got a friend who's got a house right there on the, on the championship course. So I'll be watching. Yeah. I mean, I know that for the pro, uh, portion of it, I think that's on Wednesday when all the, they have the, the golfers pair up with, you know, some other professional athletes, former professional athletes. I think not only Peyton is coming again, but Eli's coming. Yes. We're going to have the whole Peyton fa- uh, Manning family. Yes. And then I don't know who else I saw was coming, but I, I mean, it looked like a pretty star studded. Yeah. I think list. they said Larry Fitzgerald. Um, oh, Larry Fitzgerald. That's Graham right. Rahal. Wow. I love Graham. Great so, indie driver. Yeah. Yeah. So that should be fun. I'm jealous of you. I hope you post lots of pictures. I'll try to. It's a nice little. What? It's a nice little flex on the social media to post uh, photos from the memorial. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's fun though. People love it too. I mean, I think people know about that tournament that don't really even follow golf mm-hmm. because the players talk so highly of it. Yeah. They 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 have a great time up there. Oh, did you ever get one of the milkshakes? I have not. Never had one. Okay. Let me let me let me let me put this out there. I was lucky enough to not only once, but twice be able to have the milkshakes. Interesting. One year I did a story. Yes. So I got the milkshakes. Of course. And then the last year I was there, Dom snuck me into the clubhouse and got me a milkshake. Dom, that's so that's a Dom move. Go up to not Dom. A, not a rule follower. Go up to Dom. Say, Kayla told me you need to get me a milkshake. And Kayla said what Kayla says goes with you. Ooh. And I think he'll get you a milkshake. Love it. I'm going to get okay. one of those milkshakes. All right. Let's talk some football, folks. <laughs> Finally. Now that you've learned about all the other things going on this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so the official recruiting period has opened up and it's kind of a game of playing catch up and I'll let you explain, but because of the COVID-19 pandemic and then all the things that have happened with this, this weird past year, teams are finally like getting on it. And it's just like an, it's all go now. I mean, that it's like they are putting their foot on the pedal and they're pushing down hard. Yeah. It's pedal to the floor. Exactly what you said. Um, in Ohio state's case, they've got for the month of June alone, 51 official visits planned. Um, the maximum that a school can have for official visits in, in a full year is 62, just to put that in perspective. And then they also expect another 150 to 200 unofficial visitors, uh, participants in their six one-day camps. Uh, they're going to have a lot of people on campus. And I think for Ohio State, typically this time of year is, I believe, a dead period in recruiting. Like they don't have yeah. students on campus. I know they could do the spring officials, but I'm sure I'm pretty sure that June was off limits historically. Um, And now it's opened up. And for a school like Ohio State, this is a great time to have student athletes on campus because it's agreeable. It's June. There's plenty of stuff to do. The the trees are nice and green and full and it's warm. Uh, Whereas when I was coming through, we had our official visits in December and I'm from Columbus. So, you know, December in Columbus wasn't anything for me to handle, but you're trying to court guys from Texas and from Georgia and from Florida and they're coming up to the Midwest. Like what the hell is going on? Mm -hmm. So I think part of Ohio state's plan of attack is number one to get these guys on campus when it's nice out. But I think number two, they might be um, planning ahead a little bit and it, it feels like Ohio stadium is going to be full in the fall. Like they're going to have capacity, whether full capacity or close to it. But if there is a chance that maybe they can't get the logistics situated to have recruits in, they can get them done now. I think where that might hurt a school like Ohio State, and I'll toss it back to you just to hear some of your thoughts, is it's good to get the guys on campus this time of the year. But a lot of times in recruiting, it is the final impression that seals the deal. So yeah. if Nick Saban gets a hold of one of these guys or Steve Sarkeesian gets a hold of one of these guys or Dabo Swinney gets a hold of one of these guys, you know, close to that December signing period, that might make a difference. And the expectation for Ohio State, and they've made it pretty clear, is that this might be the only time the class of 2022 recruits actually get on campus before that December signing period. So it's very important, but you might lose late in that recruiting battle on some of these ones where you're, you're really trying to get a guy because you might not have that contact late in the year, right before signing day. Yeah. And that's a good point. I just feel like Joshua, everything is now, it, it, it happens so much earlier. It does. These kids are making these decisions way, way earlier. And yes, some of them do change their minds, but it is different from five years ago when I feel like a lot of guys would wait and you wouldn't know really who they were going to pick until that last minute. Now I kind of feel like we know who these programs are getting for the most part, but you do want to be the one that leaves a lasting impression. And I think sometimes it is better to be one of the last programs to have a a player come in and, and do their, you know, here we're showing off everything. But at the same time, Whatever impression you leave, if it's a 
solid enough impression, which I feel like Ohio State, and like you mentioned, in the in June when it's summertime there, they get to see campus, they get to see the hustle and bustle that's downtown Columbus. There's a lot going on. Well, right. And not to cut you off, I think that might be what is the differentiator yeah. for a lot of these guys is whether you go to you know Alabama or Clemson, Texas to maybe a lesser degree because that's a big city, but. When you see Columbus this time of year, and you know how it is, Kayla, it's thriving around here. Um, And so that would be, yeah, like this would be the ideal time to have guys around, not just because the weather's nice and, you know, you'll get a a beautiful view of campus. But like when the the hosts, the player hosts are taking the recruits out to the short north in the university district on a Friday, Saturday night in the summer, you get a real taste of what Columbus has to offer. And it's very different than some of these other schools. But the question always remains, Nick Saban, the closer in, you know, November, December, when those guys are ramping up to play in the college football playoff is going to be hard to contend with. Yeah, no, it is. It always is. You're always trying to beat the Dabo Sweeney, the Nick Saban, just because they've built such solid programs in the last few years that are always contending. Um, for Nick Saban, it's been the past several yeah, years. Like for a while. For a while now. It, but this leads me to this quick question. We, we, we've been talking about name and image likeness. And I was listening to a radio show the other day, and I can't remember who it was. It's, I think it might have been down here in Nashville locally. But they were mentioning some of these campuses, these programs that are in cities like a Columbus, where it's not too big, but it's not too small, where name, image, and likeness could really benefit a player in a city like that, because there's so much in like going on in terms of like wanting to be on an advertisement, wanting to, you know, be in this car advertise. Because you, I think mid mid major cities could really be the selling point for some of these athletes. Because you're not going to get that in a huge city because there's other things going on, right? There's other professional teams going on. Ohio State is in Columbus. It's pretty much that the pro team for that city um, when it comes to football. And so I just think there could be some big time, you know, money in in getting these athletes in because you can kind of sell that. Yeah. Compared to these other bigger cities that some of these colleges are in, or just like a Tuscaloosa, where I know it's Alabama, but it's Tuscaloosa. Like, there's not a lot going on there. Yeah, and that's the the thing that I think, like Ohio State is poised for it. I also think Texas is going to be in the mix because, because Austin, Austin is yeah. a huge city, and Texas is yeah. the pro team there. It's Columbus yeah. with the Buckeyes. It's the same thing. You know, we I did this conversation on a radio show, but you talk about. Um, Chicago for Northwestern in the Big Ten. Like that makes no sense because Chicago is a pro town. You talk about Rutgers yeah. with their proximity to New York. There's so much going on in New York. They don't, nobody gives a damn about Rutgers, but specifically there, yep. nobody's checking for them. Um, and that's why Columbus will always be positioned. You talk about LA, it's the same thing. Like people are worried about yeah. what the Kardashians are doing out there. They're not worried about yeah, what some 19 year old football player is doing out there. Nope. And they've got the Chargers. Nope and the Rams, they've got two basketball, like it's, you know, and and so we can go on and on about it, but I I've always said this too. And I want to make this very clear on my stance on NIL, the fact that I love it, but also for people who think that this is going to 
totally change the landscape of college football. I think the transfer portal is going to do more to radically change college football than NIL. NIL will benefit like Ohio State and Texas, some of these rabid fan bases, because guys will be able to go on tours and sign autographs around the state during the offseason. And, you know, your top player, if you're a, uh, a Justin Fields type of guy, you'll probably be able to sign a contract with these um, uh, memorabilia companies for hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you're yeah. a guy like myself, and I say this from experience, where you led the team in tackles on national championship team, and yeah. you were a captain your senior year, you would make $30,000 if you're lucky. Like yeah. I was lucky to make that sign autographs. And I'm not saying that it's an insignificant yeah. amount of money, but we're not going to have millionaires walking around college campuses. No, That's reserved for the quarterback, maybe yeah. somebody else on the team. If somebody has one of those great stories like we've seen in college football, they can yeah. market to that. Most football players are unmarketable. Basketball players are, but there's only a handful of them. And to be completely honest, the, the, the women's volleyball player who has uh, the Instagram following probably yeah. stands to benefit as much or more than the typical football player because – Nobody's yep. looking at my Instagram talking about how good looking I am yep. and wants me to market fit tummy tea, you yep. know? So it's yep. this, it'll be interesting. I think it's a big deal, but it's not as crazy as people want to make it. No, I think it's going to be a, a lot more subdued than we think. I mean, it might be a little different at first when we're seeing you know, some of these guys, you know, doing some commercials or r- rolling in a bit of cash here or there. Like you said, the the females on the Instagram side of things, I'm sure that that's something that it's going to be a big market. A little more of, but well. Kayla, I'll I'll throw this out to you too. Like for pro football players, how many of those guys are like truly marketable? Patrick Mahomes oh. is, Tom Brady obviously is, Aaron Rodgers has been a marketable guy. I'm naming all quarterbacks right now. Um, really, uh, what's my I mean, guy? Like JJ Watt. There's, yeah, who's um, the the for the Rams? The uh, Aaron Donald. Oh. Yeah, like he's marketable. Um, But outside of that, dudes are making money. And these are professional grown men. You you don't trust a 19 year old to market Mercedes. No, that's people who buy Mercedes don't take marketing advice from a 19 year old. No, the same way that you're not you can't use a 19 year old to market certain products anyway. So like, again, I think it's a very narrow scope, but it's a great opportunity. Yeah, I'm actually kind of excited to see like how it evolves and how much we have to talk about. Because again, I think it's just going to make for more great content and conversation uh, for us. Yeah, yes. we're selfish well, we yeah, are, when it comes of to that. Whatever. Uh, so Dan Mullen, he gets a contract extension from Florida this past week. Um, so the extensions through 2026, it raises his annual salary to 7.6 million a year. So the new annual salary, Joshua, will make him the third highest paid coach in 2021 in the SEC behind, as you can guess, head coach Nick Saban, who's making 9.1 at Alabama and LSU head coach Ed Orgeron, who's making 8.7 million. Yeah. Um, I, and it always surprises me that Eddie O is number two in the SEC national title. I know. And, but then I'm like, gosh, he's just, he hasn't really done anything national title. 
since that. You well, know, and before that, he didn't do a lot either. So we're not going to get too far into it. I've, I've thrown enough shade at that man on the show. I know. But what do you think about Dan Mullen getting this extension? Uh, he's now the third highest player, uh, fifth highest uh, player, coach, fifth highest coach nationally yeah. when it comes to pay. So I'll preface anything I'm about to say by saying this. I think every college football coach is overpaid personally. Um, and the only reason they can get paid as much as they do is because it's the universities cannot. And I'm going to say this as well. It's also not feasible for the universities to pay student athletes, Mm -hmm. but, um, Mm -hmm. you got to spend on facilities. You got to spend on coaching contracts. So all these cats are overpaid. However, um, I think that Dan Mullen is one of the top coaches in college football. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that he is at one of the more prominent programs in college football. So, um, in my eyes, he, I'm, I have no problem with this. I really don't. Yeah. He he went. Yeah. Uh, he he's had success in the SEC. He's gone toe to toe with Alabama, which is what you can ask a guy like that to do. He's recruited very well. He's developed great talent there. He's yeah. done everything he's been asked to do. When you extend a contract and you pay somebody like this, though, it's also signaling that you think he's ready to take the next step. Um, yeah. And so that step would probably be college football playoff, and he's going to have a tough road yeah. getting there, coaching in the SEC. But in terms of do I think that he has earned a contract extension and a salary bump, I have no problem with that. I think he's earned it. Yeah, I mean, he's done some stupid stuff. Last year, he he definitely – Yeah, he's whiny. He, he's made some idiotic, idiotic comments when it came to the pandemic and filling the swamp. And yeah. Those kind of things just annoy me. So I guess I, I kind of have – but coaches do dumb stuff. No, though. I know, I know, and that I'm not saying this had anything to do with pay. I was just bringing up the fact. Yeah, that he is one of those coaches that can kind of stir the pot a little bit. The SEC seems to have a lot of those coaches. They like that profile. Um, they certainly do. So coaches that get that attention, but his players just seem to love him. I mean, he seems like the ultimate players' coach. I've watched some of the spring practices. Um, and the spring game specifically that's televised on the SEC network. And he is so funny. Like he is just down there the whole time, like chatting with the, you know, the reporter and having fun and his players are coming up to him and giving him grief. And I'm like, he comes across to me as the ultimate players coach. Yeah. I don't know him at all. Like I've never met him before. Um, uh-huh. He coached for the guy I played for urban Meyer uh, and urban yep. spoke very highly of him. urban thought yep. he was a great assistant, thought he yep. was a great head coach. Um, so I've heard great things about, I don't know the guy, but to your point, I, I agree with you. I think mm-hmm. that he can recruit the way that he does because he knows how to connect with players. He wears Jordans everywhere he goes, which is going to be a win. He wears Jordan 11s, which is like my favorite one too. So go ahead. Um, But yeah, I mean, it it feels like those guys are having a lot of fun down there. It feels Mm -hmm. like they are. And so when you can build a culture like that, that's also something that you pay for as an athletic director is you pay for a place that players want to come because it it starts in my mind with the players. When you have great players, it makes the coaching job easier. So if the guy knows how to connect with people, then let him do his job. So one more thing on this, because you said a contract extension in getting more money usually means trying to take it to the next level. Is it frustrating as a coach in the SEC that you just know Alabama and Nick Saban are sitting there and Nick Saban doesn't seem to be going anywhere soon and you're just looking at your watch being like, when is it going to be time when Saban exits college football? To me, it would be frustrating. I, I don't care what these coaches say. 
they're looking at Nick Saban in Alabama like, can you please leave? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel like those coaches low-key feel like Saban's gettable, though. You know, because it. Yeah. I, I feel like, honestly, yeah. I feel like you would rather – this is a crazy statement, so you're yeah. going to have to bear with me. You'd rather be in the SEC – and go up against Nick Saban than be in yeah. the Big Ten and have to go up yeah. against Urban Meyer or Ryan Day. Because yeah. when you look at the last few years, Nick Saban might win the championship at the end of the year, but but if you're LSU, Les Miles had three victories over Alabama. Ed Orgeron's got one. You look at Florida, they've been able to go toe-to-toe with Alabama. When you look at Georgia, they've been able to go toe-to-toe with Alabama. Like You feel like there is a legitimate opportunity yeah. To Auburn's done it to to get the wins over Saban. Um, so those guys probably see it a little bit differently than we do on the outside looking in. They mm-hmm. they know it's difficult, but they probably feel like there is a game plan. Maybe you're, you're not. Maybe you're not going to get them twice. Like you're not. And Alabama's yep. going to be great at the end of the year every year. But there is a legitimate opportunity that you can get Alabama, and people probably feel that way in the, in the SEC. Coaches do. No, that and, and I like that, you know, mentality that we can get Nick Saban and as much as it's a frustrating thing because it's just year in and year out, it looks like Alabama's always right up here. But you're right. I think some of these coaches, just the talent of um, these programs in the SEC, that they're right there, right? Yes. Just like, and I feel like Florida is is one of those programs that's just right there knocking on the door because I do believe – in Dan Mullen and, and what he's doing there. Yeah. It's now just kind of, like you said, taking it to the next level. I would say um, we'll before we, before we move off this topic, you're right. I would say for Dan Mullen, the thing that is holding him back is the truly elite quarterback. Mm-hmm. We saw what LSU did when that. they had the elite guy, it changed yeah. their whole program. They had a spectacular once-in-a-lifetime type year. Nick Saban in the past hadn't necessarily had those guys. As of late, he's had the best quarterbacks in college football. Jalen Hurts, who ended up transferring out, he had Tua, and then he follows it up with Mac Jones. Ohio State, as of late, has had really good quarterback play. Clemson has had great quarterback play. Oklahoma's made it into the playoff a number of years, and they've done it off the back of great quarterback play. Baker Mayfield. Kyler Murray, see me going down the list here. What I'm trying to draw together is Dan Mullen is a quarterback guy. He is an offensive guru. When he gets his hands on that elite, borderline generational quarterback, Florida's winning a national title. I'm with you 100%. And look, if you're a quarterback and you're one of the top-tier quarterbacks in the country looking for your next move in college – to me, I would more so look at a place like Florida. It's an underrated spot Alabama, to go to. It is. It is. Yeah. I know that Alabama in the recent years, in the past few years, have been the, the team that you feel like has has a quarterback that is, is always competing. But look, traditionally, they're not known as much yep. for that. Um, I'm telling you, you right now. Like Dan Mullen. Yeah. Yes. That's a, it. Like we, we talk about destinations. We've had this conversation before. Right, Ohio State's a destination with Ryan Day. Dabo Swinney is a guy who you want to play for if you're a quarterback, and they've shown the way they've recruited. Talk about Oklahoma, you talk about Alabama. Florida is that spot, in my opinion, underrated for a quarterback to go to. And you've got a guru yep. right there. He turned Kyle Trask 
into a Heisman finalist, that guy's not going to play in the NFL. No. And he never started before he got to Florida, by the way. I'm telling you. Never started. He was a backup in high school. So the, the development of Kyle Trask, I put some of that on Dan Mullen. And, you know, for Kyle being able to perform the way he did when he was at Florida as a starter. So that's a great point. I, look out for that, people. Look out for that. Florida gets a quarterback. Joshua says they can win the natty. I wouldn't disagree. Okay, we're going to wrap things up with – it's like now on the somber note. No, I'm just joking. It's not somber. <laughs> it's just an interesting study that I was looking into because we've talked about the effects of COVID-19. I mean, Kirk Herbstreit, I don't know if you read this article. He's still feeling the aftermath of COVID-19 that he was diagnosed with back in December. So what is he feeling so? I, I think he's just lethargic, you know, not himself. Like a lot of people just feel like they're not exactly up to par in terms of their energy. Um, I know that the taste and smell for some people, and I don't know if this was specifically for um, Herb Street, but the, the smell isn't all the way 100% yep. back. Okay, that's a real thing. Uh, some things do taste different. So I, it's just one of those things. Everyone's dealing with it if they've had COVID-19 in different ways. Some people don't have any problems lingering, and some people do. It's just such a hit and miss thing. And that's why, again, people go get vaccinated. Okay, so this study that came out this past week, it was um, a study on the risk of heart damage to college athletes who have had COVID-19. Um, and we had heard about the heart problems, right. Mm -hmm. That, that had had been going on, I guess, when it first came out and that's why they were worried about letting these kids play. So the study published in JAMA cardiology found the inflammatory heart condition, um, myocarditis, is that right? Mm -hmm. Myocarditis. Is that, am I pronouncing that right? Myocarditis. Yeah. Okay. In 37 or 2.3% of 1,597 Big Ten college um, athletes given a cardiac MRI after testing positive for COVID-19. So it, it's, not, it's, it's not a lot, I guess. No. But it's still something that is, is happening with some of these athletes. Um, like the risk is still there with it having long-term effects, I guess. Yeah, I mean, this is something that was brought up, you know, as a like you said, a, a big cautionary point for the Big Ten and getting back to football. Um, and it's not a lot of athletes, but it is something to keep an eye out on. And the reason why is because we don't know what this virus does long term. It was a novel virus. And that's where I think a lot of the caution came from is, yeah, you know, you get your symptoms and 99.9% .9 of people can survive it in the second and third, which is totally fine. How does it affect people in the long term? We have these heart issues. You talked about it. Like I have a friend who had COVID back in November. He still can't smell today. Yeah. And, and so like, what does that mean? Like, is that just your olfactory senses that don't work properly? Or is there an underlying reason that you can't smell that's going to manifest into something bigger later on? I'm not trying to be an alarmist here. I'm just trying to say that people love to look back in hindsight now and be like, oh, well, some people were overly cautious and we made too big a deal of it. And maybe I'm, I'm not, I can't say one way or the other, but I'm not going to be one of those people that makes a definite statement that says we did too much. 
because there could be a whole generation of people 10 years from now that we're talking about as the, the, the COVID generation who are all messed up because 10 years later, something manifests due to the coronavirus. Yeah. And that's the thing with these, these athletes that do suffer from these heart conditions. Cause let's say they do play this next season and they have a lingering heart condition and you know, they're out on the field or out in practice in the hot weather. That's the kind of stuff that it does happen even before the coronavirus, right. this kind of stuff would happen. Now I just, I hope that we don't see more of this spontaneous like situations where these kids are having issues, you know, during the season and God forbid anything happens, you know, where they drop in practice or something right. and this stuff has happened. So I just hope that they are doing the the right things within these programs to keep these kids healthy, to do the checkups. You know, I, I will I will be curious to see if there's some sort of additional checkup that they do that's based on the coronavirus and the heart situation. Yeah. If they add that to the medical um, aspect of college athletics. Well, I, I mean, these these athletes are going to be some of the, the best treated people in the world for anything that happens to them. So I'm sure that there will be a long follow up process and that these universities will look out for their health and well-being into the future. But to your point, like. You know, there's a lot of questions still out there and you just want to make sure that nobody was put in in harm's way for something that's going to affect them long term. So, well, guys, it has been a fun episode of Press Pass. Next week, we hit 130. It just seems like we're hitting these milestones. It's wild. All the time now. It's crazy. So we uh, we apologize for the lingering at the beginning, but I don't apologize. I am unapologetic about that. Sometimes we like to talk other than football. It's just fun. We're humans. We, we got a lot of stuff going on in our lives. Exactly. You can always learn something new from us. That's right. So, Joshua, where can they go to follow you on Instagram, on Twitter? And Joshua promised he's going to be putting up a couple memorial pictures. If you see my boy Ricky Fowler, please take a picture and tag me on it. Thank you Will very do. much. Appreciate it. Where can they go to find you? You can find me at RIP underscore JEP. That's Twitter and Instagram. Um, and it's a shameless plug right here, but there was a uh, a story in The Athletic uh, about me and the four other people that were nominated for uh, Outstanding Emerging Talent uh, for the Emmy ceremony. And I think it's a really insightful look into the minds of the the young rising professionals in the media space so don't not for me, don't check it out for me, but check it out for everybody else who was in there and see what kind of things they had to say, because it was really enlightening. Um, and on behalf of everybody in that category, I just feel like our profession, Kayla, is going in a really unique direction where we are more thoughtful and we are uh, more worldly than people who came before us. We're more than just telling the sports stories. We're telling all the stories. I think it's really cool. No, that's a good point. Go check that article out in The Athletic. I've already pubbed The Athletic so many times like because they just cover everything. They need to sell ads on this show. That's a great point. I mean, I love them. I, I think they have the best writers in the business personally. And I'd go to them for most of the sports news that I get. I go to it for, cause you can pick your category. Yes, I yes. mean, you can be specific or you can be generic. And like Joshua just said, they did a write up on all you. And that's, I mean, that's great. It's, it's, it's good journalism and it's stuff that I actually learn. I like learn new things every time I read an article in the athletic. So 
yeah, we're now um, shameless plug for the athletic too here. Right. Maybe someone listening will will go to their boss and get us on here from that. You can find me at Kayla Anderson TV on Twitter and Instagram. Always putting up new content all the time. We appreciate you guys tuning in. If you you know have the uh, ability, which I know you do, go to iTunes, give us a rate and review. Definitely subscribe if you guys like the podcast, and uh, we will truly appreciate it. Take care, and we'll be back here same time, same place next week.